Hello, welcome to the Contemplative Tribal Podcast. It is no secret that we live in a time that prioritizes strength, beauty, vigor, and youthfulness. We all know of what we might call the ideals of self-sufficiency, the obsessive drive of the cult of productivity, endless strategies, techniques, technologies, and engineering for effectiveness and efficiency. And these are all grand and applaudable trends to be sure. However, in such a world that values and worships progress, our own limitedness is a reality that strikes us with anxiety and fear. We want to stay forever young, 18 till I die, and never grow up. Apparently, as social critics have observed in recent decades, our attitudes towards aging are not accidental. They are possibly influenced by some sort of disorientation of our values and the failure to accept key points about our human condition. So this is what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Join me in this conversation. There are some things in life that are common and universal for everyone. One of them is aging or growing up. That's a fact and a reality of life, and it's something that we all have to go through. But I think it's also something that increasingly it, we don't want to address. Especially this hits when your cake cannot hold the number of your years, you know, the candles in the number of years any longer. And that hits when you sneakily take out the, your birth year from your public social media accounts. And in a society that prioritizes the vitality, the health, freshness and potentials and the promising, what is promising, I think there's a certain aversion or nervousness towards aging. And I think ultimately it's because it forces us to confront the inevitable question, the question of suffering, the question of decay, and ultimately, of course, the question of death. So I'm calling this the flight from limitedness, the aversion of this concept of our limitedness, our finiteness, our smallness. In a sense, this topic, the topic of this episode, was influenced and inspired by something that I read in the book, The Culture of Narcissism. And it's written by an American cultural historian by the name of Christopher Lash. The Culture of Narcissism, subtitled, American Life in an Age of Diminishing Expectations. This is a book written way back in 1979, and it is remarkable just by the sheer fact that it was written in 1979. Pre-internet, pre-social media, written in the age of TV and radio. And as the Wikipedia page uh, puts it, it's written by Christopher Lash, in which the author explores the roots and ramifications of the normalization of pathological narcissism in 20th century American culture, using psychological, cultural, artistic, and historical synthesis. I think it's a great book to read. It has given me so much things to read. It's not an easy book to read uh, because it covers a lot of grounds, but I think every single page is brimming with information and food for thought, and it has given me a lot of things to think, and one of them has to do with this topic, 
the aversion or the flight from limitedness. The flight, in fact, he talks actually about the flight from aging, the flight from death. So according to Christopher Lash, one of the ways in which the culture of narcissism is manifested in the society is through the aversion or the abhorrence of old age and the attempt to forestall or to abolish old age through medical procedures, through scientific um, advancements, through technologies. Again, just to mention, it's, uh, he's writing particularly about American society, but I think it has a lot of weight and meaning for our society as well. So, quote, The denial of age in America culminates in the prolongevity movement, which hopes to abolish old age altogether. But the dread of age originates not in the cult of youth, but in a cult of the self. Not only in its narcissistic indifference to future generations, but in its grandiose vision of a technological utopia without old age. The prolongevity movement exemplifies the fantasy of absolute sadistic power, which, according to Kohut, so deeply colors the narcissistic outlook. Pathological in its psychological origins and inspiration, superstitious in its faith in medical deliverance, the prolongevity movement expresses in characteristic form the anxieties of a culture that believes it has no future. So aversion towards aging, according to Lash, it has its roots in the narcissistic culture of contemporary society. So let me just break that down and simplify it for, for us because, to be honest, I'm not a psychologist as well. Some of the language used here are quite over my head. Um, so let me break it down as far as, I, as far as I understand the concepts given in the book. Lash says that outwardly, in, in the societal level, in the society, right, there are some societal reasons why we have this abhorrence or this nervousness towards old age. So these are the reasons that are due to the way our modern capitalist society treats our old people, our elderly people. So these are the reasons why we have this aversion towards old people because our society doesn't treat our elderly old people in the best of ways. Firstly, we have fear of old age because in many times it's irrational panic. But we have this fear of old age because of the way advanced industrial societies treat our old people. Which is, they relegate old people, elderly people to uselessness. Because in our society, in a capitalist modern society, being productive is the ideal, right? The, the highest ideal of the society. So the bright, the young, the beautiful, the promising, the brilliant, those are held in high uh, places because they are promising. They, they have some value in creating uh, something of value. So being productive is the ideal. And therefore, old age is less than ideal, to say the least. There's an inability to produce or to create any value among the elder, older people. To put it very crassly, there's an inability to produce capital. So that's the first reason why we have an aversion towards old age because of the way society treats our old people, because they relegate them to uselessness. The second is because in recent years, in, in modern, especially in the 21st century, there's relatively lesser interest in progeny 
in modern societies. In short, in in simple language, people these days don't really care about the, having children and having family and passing on the next generation and so on and so forth. And so because of that, the focus of people is on my generation and on us. And so why would you grow old when you want to live in the peak of your life, your whole your whole life basically? So in a time where there is relatively less interest in progeny, in children, in modern societies, this fear and aversion of old age is even more heightened. And the third point is that there is now less value. People put very less value on wisdom and experiences of the old people. And I think you would relate with what I'm saying here. In certain traditions, in certain cultures, there is more respect for old people, elderly people. And yet today in our generation, the value has moved on from the old and experienced to what is novel, what is new, what is fresh, what has vigor, you know, what, what's exciting, what's spectacular and sensational today and tomorrow something else will come up. And so because of these three reasons, societal reasons, we have this aversion towards old age. And these are outwardly reasons, okay, things that we see in our society. But there, there's also, according to Christopher Lash, there's also an inwardly re reason, inner reason on the level of individuals. And these inward individual reasons, inner reasons are closely tied together with the outward reasons that I just shared, three points. And that has to do with this flight from limitedness, which ultimately ties down to the culture of narcissism. For the next few minutes, I want to talk about narcissism. What exactly is narcissism? In brief, narcissism basically is a way of life that sees everything as an echo or extension of yourself, of ourselves. We might be tempted to think that narcissism basically means someone who loves himself or herself. And that's what comes to our mind immediately. But that would not be the most accurate de definition of a narcissist. In, in a certain way, actually that is the opposite of a narcissist. Because loving yourself, valuing yourself, and setting the right expectations for yourself is actually healthy. And in fact, that is the right response to being a narcissist. To love yourself, value, and set right expectations for yourself. That is the right response to narcissism. On the other hand, narcissism or a narcissist is actually somebody who loves himself or herself only through others. So as far as I understand, this is my own assessment, this is my own, uh, my, my own way of putting it in, in my own language. A narcissist is somebody who loves the image of themselves rather than loving themselves. So he or she loves the image. So that's why it's through another person. The narcissist loves himself or herself through others. So when this image of himself or herself is threatened, he or she feels threatened. So this is a definition of narcissism that I found on, on the internet. It is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. But behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. So a few descriptions that might color this uh, 
idea of narcissism that might flesh flesh in a bit to uh, to our understanding of narcissism is that narcissists have a certain delusion of being unlimited of being sort of infinite brimming with potential at the same time he or she lacks individuality um, there's an unhealthy dependence on others especially for affirmation and for self valuation so if others don't show that they value a narcissist he or she feels like they have no value they need others for affirmation they need others for self value and slightly connected to that and because of that a narcissist fear intimacy a narcissist fear close building close relationships and as christopher lash points out narcissists manifest this so-called flight from feelings they're nervous about feelings about intimacy about authentic expressions of your feelings and your emotions and so they fly from feelings one of the ways in which people narcissists fly f- from feelings run away from feelings is by engaging in non-committal relationships especially physical sexual relationships in casual non-committed relationships where the the partner is not allowed to have feelings where there's no strings attached narcissists usually display this overwhelming contradictory sense of in one hand confidence in oneself and on the other hand anxiety self-doubt on the other hand so there's this paradoxical and contradictory juxtaposition of confidence and anxiety in a narcissist so on one hand the narcissist is eternally marketing himself or herself in this make believe world and on the other hand the narcissist is wrecked with anxiety because his or her make believe world depends on others validation and depends on others affirmation and so it's a very crumbly fragile kind of world uh, the best term being a bubble in which everything else around that that he or she sees around him or her is an echo is a mirror of who she who who he or she is to use the words that's used in the book uh, he sees everything around him or her as an extension of himself herself okay so let's wrap up this discussion on narcissism so the inflated view of oneself the exaggerated view of one's power and capabilities the concern for image and the inability to think beyond the moment by the way one of the things that i i, I missed out in that list is the inability to think beyond the moment uh, there is no sense of continuity historical continuity everything that matters is right here and now everything that matters is the image right now uh, there's no sense of continuity historical continuity that uh, of being located in a string of events right through history no in, in instead of that there's this idea that what matters is what is right now and so because of that there's no interest in as i mentioned earlier there's no interest in progeny and children there's no interest in learning from tradition or history what matters is now and so all these factors as that i mentioned come together to create the modern experience of aversion towards old age this aversion towards old age essentially if you follow the logic is a mild and ultimate slide down towards the ultimate point of powerlessness which is death in other words we all fear or we all have aversion towards old age because it is the way to death it is a slow march towards death 
The well-known American anthropologist Clifford Geertz challenges this way of thinking, and he puts it like this, I quote, Most people historically have not lived their lives as if thinking I have only one life to live. Instead, they have lived as if they are living their ancestors' lives and their offspring's lives and perhaps their neighbors' lives as well. Close quote. For today, I want to dwell on this instinct in modern society. Let's call this the flight from limitedness, fleeing from our limitedness, this aversion towards our limitedness. So in my experience, as I read this book, as I read these uh, sections in the book, here are a few things that came to my mind. And I think these are man manifestations of this way of looking at our limitedness, right? And I realized that even I am a victim to this way of looking with aversion towards old age. So the first thing, many times I'm shocked at elderly people because they have this willingness, this candidness, you know, candor to talk about, to talk casually about their limitation, about suffering, about sickness, even about old age and about death. How can they be so blunt and open and forthright, unreserved, direct, frank, simple in the sense that they don't sugarcoat their talk and they talk about aging and even about death and i noticed that they're not as paranoid about aging as i tend to be or our generation tend to be so that's the first revelation the second is sometimes i find myself insisting that we should be polite more polite towards others and sometimes i'm in this whatsapp group and somebody shares this, you know, grisly, grotesque pictures of, I don't know, death and blood and violence. And for me, when I look at that, man, that's crude, that's impolite, that's incorrect, that's not appropriate. And again, I'm, I'm not defending that kind of behavior, sharing, let's call it inappropriate way, uh, images of death and bloodshed. But I'm pointing out that there's a difference in the way I see things and difference in the way the other person who is sharing. For him, if I ask him, like, it's okay. He, he would probably say, it's okay. It's just death. It's normal. But for me, I realize that my instinct comes from my aversion to, to confront death so bluntly. But there's a different way by which different people see things. That's, the, that's exactly the point that I'm trying to bring out here. The third thing that comes to my mind is symmetry. Symmetry. And I mean burial spots, right? Burial grounds, cemeteries. There's a cemetery just outside our house in Edinburgh. And I used to wonder why would people make a cemetery outside their house? And in fact, you know that, we, we all know that many churches tend to have the cemetery just outside their, their chapel. I realized that there's a certain profound effect that cemeteries have on you. You walk out. Every time I go to the university, I, I'm confronted with these visuals, that image of death and people who came and lived and generations who have lived and died and are buried now. And somewhat gloomy realization that that is all our fate for every one of us, no matter how bright and promising and no matter how great we, we may look right now. In modern cities, I don't think you'll find symmetry in the city because the symmetry is a symbol of all that the city stands against. The city is all for productivity, for beauty, for freshness, for life. And symmetry is somewhat of a morbid reminder to city dwellers that 
life is not all sunny and progress and so on and so forth. The fourth thing that comes to my mind when I think about age is our buildings. When I came to when we came to Edinburgh first, we were quite appalled at the oldness of these buildings. And when we, when I say oldness, you look at the buildings, you can sense it right away. It's heavy. It's brooding. It's got colors. You know, it's got. Uh, you can see the wear and tear of uh, weathers. It's it's, it's experienced uh, generations and people of coming and going. It's seen wars. It's seen political upheavals. Um, it's just a humbling reminder that it has some of these buildings in Edinburgh have stood from 1500s, some of them all the way back to the 13th century. And and when you look at these buildings, you see that there are signs of decay. Unlike modern cities where everything is glass, right? The, the thing about glass is that when it's broken, you replace it because you can't keep it like rocks or something, uh, buildings made of uh, stones and wood. And I think glass buildings are an apt metaphor for modern sensitivities because you you keep it fresh, you keep it clean all the time. And no matter how long the building has stood, the glass is replaced. And it's just an apt metaphor for what our modern society longs for, which is freshness and cleanness. So all these sensibilities, all these thoughts that came to your mind, and probably there are more that you might also be aware of in your own context. These are ways in which I noticed this trend in me as well, this aversion towards what is old, this nervousness towards anything that reminds me of my limitedness, my smallness. But as I thought about it, here's an interesting observation. In the village, if you go to a village or if you go to anything that's a bit remotely traditional, you realize that there's deep value for old age. There's deep value and respect for old age or for at least let's call it for maturity. So if you go to a village, you look at young people, they're all pretending to be old, right? I'm, I'm, have you seen that? All pretending, almost we joke, they're all trying to look like deacons uh, in the church. They're, they dress up, dress up their age. They try to look dignified. They try to talk like an elderly man. And some for someone who is not from that context, they'll be like, why on earth are they doing that? They're young boys and young girls and they're trying to act like uh, old people. I think that's because fundamentally there's an inherent value and dignity in age, in old age, in that particular context. I'm not saying that's good or bad, right or wrong. That's a completely different matter. But I'm pointing out there's a different valuation system, different ways of looking at the society. Now, this is a general statement. As far as Christopher Lash is concerned in, uh, in his book, The Culture of Narcissism, he definitely makes it clear that he's indicting the American society, modern society, and he criticizes, he's a critic of this kind of culture. And I don't necessarily prescribe to that in, in uh, perspective. I don't necessarily think that it's all wrong and we have to go back to traditional way of life. I don't think so. Even though there are a lot of things that I sympathize with in, in the book, but the point here being that there's definitely a differential in the way priorities and values are held in the traditional way of life and today, which, as I mentioned, is run on modern capitalist values. All right, I think that is good for one episode. In this episode, we have talked about the aversion for limitedness, the aversion that 
people seem to feel in our contemporary society towards anything that limits us, anything that indicates our finitude. We've talked about how that might be connected to narcissism, the culture of narcissism as proposed in Christopher Lash's work. And also I've talked about some of my own experience of this so-called aversion in my own self and what I've seen in our society. Join me in the next episode as well. I'll be continuing on this topic and I will be suggesting and exploring some practical guidelines and advice on how we might go about addressing and redressing this aversion, this irrational panic that we've been talking about in this episode today. So until then, take care and I'll catch you up on the next one.